This podcast is a production of the Johns Hopkins University Press. To learn more, please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals. Thank you for tuning in to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. My name is Brian Shea, and I am the Public Relations and Advertising Manager in the Journals Division. In 2011, Gary Hagberg assumed sole editorship of the journal Philosophy and Literature after the death of founding editor Dennis Dutton. The journal continues to publish thought-provoking work on a wide variety of topics. Hagberg recently joined us to talk about the journal and what readers can expect in coming issues. Thank you for joining me today, Gary. Tell me, what has it been like since taking over sole editorship of the journal? Well, it's good to be with you again, Brian. The excitement continues, uh, actually, uh, since um, the founding editor, uh, Dennis Dutton, left the world about six years ago, I think it was, uh, we've had a very active uh, phase with the journal. We've had special issues, we've had symposium issues, um, all kinds of things happening. And the coverage, I would say, has expanded. And uh, I'll say more about that in a moment. And the um, submissions from around the world continue at a very encouraging pace. One of the big things that happened in the past few years since you've been in charge, the the journal went uh, underwent a major change visually. Uh, tell me, how did that happen? What led you to develop that concept and, and uh, put together such striking images on the covers? Yes, you know, that uh, there's a story there, a, a bit of one. I was looking at the journal, and I was thinking, well, we want to find a way to um, visually capture something of the content, the spirit of the journal, you might say. And so uh, uh, I was thinking about the great libraries I've had the fortune to be in around the world, and I thought, well, what beautiful and evocative and powerful places they are. And so I put together a set of um, a set of photographs of great libraries around the world and worked with a graphic, a wonderful graphic designer, uh, who in fact worked out our new... Um, uh, our new cover, and so every uh, every issue we have uh, another photograph of one of the great libraries, which we think is uh, we hope is ev- is evocative of the world of humane learning to which this journal would make, like to make a contribution. What has the reaction to that been? Uh, obviously, it's it's a big difference, and there are a lot of journals that are just plain text on the cover. So what, when you meet colleagues at meetings and things of that nature. What do they say about the, the way the journal looks? <laughs> Actually, the reaction has been very positive, and uh, the first question is, well, the first remark is often, wow, uh, and this is credit to our designer. Uh, the second the second question uh, is often, how did you do this, or how is this uh, how is this possible? Most journals don't look like this. It looks more, more like a sort of magazine. Uh, so I feel as though we sort of fulfilled our mission a bit in trying to make the journal evoke something of its content something of the content of humane learning, something of the content of uh, uh, rich literary readings informed by philosophy. Something something there has been captured, I think. Now, you talked about you, you've taken over after such an illustrious history with the journal and Dennis, such, a, such an important figure in the field. Um, so there's always change as that things of that nature happen. What advice do you give to people who are looking to submit now to the journal as you're implementing some of these new ideas? Oh, that's a good question. I would say first, uh, a couple of things, but I would say first to uh, be very wary of providing overly long plot summaries. Literature is something that invites, in a sense, overlong plot summaries. It's all too easy in writing a paper 
um, about a work of literature to spend too much time summarizing its content and not enough time actually interpreting it or showing the significance of that content beyond the reach of its own internal narrative. And a lot of pieces that we um, are uh, forced to, with with regret, turn down, don't make it over the bar for that reason. Uh, Another thing that I would suggest is that um, it's always good to reread your own work and ask, to what extent has philosophical content been captured here explicitly? And uh, it's one thing to um, uh, show philosophical content and another uh, another to say it. We, in a sense, want both. We want the content of literature to be conveyed in a way that reveals the philosophical content or the conceptual content that it, in fact, uh, houses. And that, by the way, is much easier to say uh, (laughs) than to do. And the last piece of advice I would offer to our writers is this. There is the easiest way of conceiving the relation between philosophy and literature, and that is that philosophy has a set of independently identifiable theses, and that those theses can be shown or displayed or sort of illustrated in literary context. We're after something richer, something deeper, something a little more acute. We're after a study, uh, studies of the relation between philosophy and literature in a way that doesn't reduce literature merely to a set of illustrations. We want uh, to provide more to our readers and something of um, something of the real humane depth of literature. We want to convey that in the pages of our journal. So, so those are three things off the top of my head that I would uh, I would suggest uh, to our writers. Why is this sort of writing and this sort of thought? so relevant in today's world? What makes it important to have this continue to exist and grow? You know, I can't answer the question directly, but I can tell you what I would like to be the true answer. I would be enormously pleased if philosophy and literature were a journal that provided a kind of safe haven for readers from a world of maybe excessive concern with practical issues, where readers could go into it and really consider the human experience, really consider human motivation, consider human understanding, consider the language and the the power of language with which we understand each other. And I think that by going into that sort of literary philosophical world, readers might remember something that uh, I think Milan Kundera answered answered the question. Someone asked him, I think, at one point, uh, what is literature for? And he gave the terrifically good answer. He said, one thing is to show that virtually everything in human life is significantly more complex than one initially thinks. And that kind of complexity, I think, that sense of nuance, a sense of depth, of richness, that aspect or that uh, kind of cultivated sensibility one might bring from literary philosophical reading has real significance for politics, for society, for the way that we live together. Um, All of that has a very great significance, I think, for who we are. Uh, So I would like that to be the answer. I don't know if it is, but I hope so. (laughs) Uh, When I talk to journal editors regularly, a a phrase, a a thing that always comes up is needing to be multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary. seems like philosophy and literature can only exist in that realm, and it can only bring together people from different areas. It hits the nail on the head. The interdisciplinary nature of this is interdisciplinary and not bidisciplinary. And that is essential to the the spirit, the nature, the purpose, really, of this journal. 
at best, what we want to do is to intertwine readings of literature with readings of philosophy, intertwine these two disciplines in a way where they can't then be taken apart. This goes back to the um, the issue of um, falsely construing that relation as one of illustration of um, philosophical positions that are identifiable uh, prior to and separate from their literary manifestation. Uh, we think that the relation is more complex. We think that the way that these two disciplines do, in fact, intertwine can be mutually illuminating. Uh, literature can show things with a depth and an acuity and a richness that philosophy maybe might not achieve under its own steam. And similarly, literature read through a philosophical lens can, in a sense, focus and sharpen the conceptual issues in play uh, in a way that uh, literature by itself might not have independently achieved. So um, interdisciplinary is the word, <laughs> yes, right. So tell me, what do people have to look forward to in the journal for 2017 and beyond? Obviously, there's, there's immediate plans and then there are long-term plans. <laughs> yes, we have much in the pipeline. But uh, one thing coming up, uh, we have a, a, a special issue coming up in uh, in um, uh, mid-2017. We've called it philosophy in literature, and uh, we specify in because it's not philosophy of literature, it's not philosophy as literature, it's philosophy in literature. Uh, this goes to the point I made earlier about uh, the more complex relation between the two fields. And the subtitle will tell you much about its content. Uh, the subtitle uh, is a Tragedy, Shakespeare, Austin, Proust, Wolf, and Borges. And so what we do in, the, in this issue, we assemble a um, group of papers, I think very powerful papers, on the reading of tragedy as itself a kind of philosophical work. We have a good number of papers on um, Shakespearean concepts on what it is to, in fact, read Shakespeare in a way that is philosophically enlightening. Uh, we have some sections on uh, some papers in a section on Jane Austen, uh, and uh, we've called it Jane Austen Aristotelian. And that tells you right there uh, what, what, what that's about. We have a section, Proust, Wolf, and Mental Life. There we have some pieces that, uh, in fact, investigate, in a sense, what it is to be conscious. And we think that literature has often done that with a degree of acuity, a, a kind of mag, mag, magnification that is not always present in philosophy, sometimes, but, but not always. And this is a service that literature can, in fact, uh, provide to philosophy in a way that um, we think is important. Uh, so uh, Proust, Wolf, Mental Life, you see the connections. Uh, and then lastly, we have a section uh, in that um, special issue coming up uh, on uh, Borges, and we call him simply Philosopher at Large. Uh, and, of course, everyone knows that Borges is a tremendously uh, interesting philosophical writer in literary terms. And so um, the pieces that we've assembled for that part of the special issue uh, investigate those um, those themes. So that's, that's coming up. We also have a... Um, uh, a section, uh, we have a column in the journal called In Focus. This is a small uh, set, uh, two, three, four, four articles, often um, often shorter than the length of a regular article, uh, but always on a single topic with a kind of laser-like focus. And we have one coming up called The Exact Word, and it's a set of papers on the importance of language, on the, on the importance of articulation, on the importance of specificity and exactitude in language, and how important that can be in human understanding and in human self-understanding. So that all sounds great. I, I imagine that there will be other things to fill in, but it sounds like there's a lot in the pipeline for people to look forward to. 
Well, thank you for joining me today, Gary. It's great to see that things are moving forward and there's lots of exciting content on the way. And we look forward to sharing it with the readers in the future. Brian, thank you. Always good to be with you. Thank you for listening to this Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. Please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals for more information.